Welcome to Founding Females of Film, a podcast shining a light on the forgotten filmmakers in history. I'm your host, Rami Fritz. You're listening to Episode 1, From Silent to Sound. Imagine this. It's 1914, and World War I has caused a nationwide unease in the U.S. Men are going off to war, and women are entering the workforce in larger numbers than ever before. Among the chaos, people are looking for entertainment to distract them from their rapidly changing society. In the early 1910s, the film industry was known as cheap entertainment, with an audience made up of urban, working-class people. In order to earn a cultural respectability, the industry needed to attract more female viewers. And to draw in a female audience, it needed to tell female stories. Who better to tell these stories than the women themselves? Thus, the film industry began to market itself as a space for ambitious young women to create art in all different areas of filmmaking. In the beginning of film, during the silent film era, women came to hold many key leadership roles as executives and headed departments like photography, editing, and screenwriting. It was at this time that women wrote the outlines for roughly half of all films. The silent film era became a time when women were encouraged and revered for being filmmakers. They were telling important stories and pioneering new techniques that would be proven remarkable in the years to come. But with the passage of women's suffrage in 1920, the culture surrounding gender roles was reinforced and would prove to be detrimental to the working woman. While on the surface, suffrage seems like it would mark a positive change in the lives of career women, Instead, it brought forth a backlash against an industry that prided itself on appealing to women. Suddenly, the industry's image of being a place for women to progress in their careers as filmmakers disappeared. Filmmaking began to be seen, as did any career during this time period, as an unconventional occupation for women to pursue. Yet, a change in mindset wasn't the only thing pushing women out of the industry. Perhaps the most powerful force pushing women out of the industry was the ultimate consolidation of the Hollywood studio systems. Wait a minute, wait a minute, you ain't heard nothing yet. In 1927, Warner Brothers produced a film called The Jazz Singer, which implemented a new technology called the Vitaphone. Goodbye. Don't cry. This inventive tech allowed for speaking and singing to go along synchronously with the visuals. While this marks a huge turning point in technology, it also marks the beginning of the industry's consolidation. The jazz singer was such a success, it forced other studios to adopt this technology, which was not an inexpensive transition. The formation of the Big Five Studios, Warner Brothers, RKO, MGM, Paramount, and 20th Century Fox, proved to be unfortunate for women in film. These studios began to capitalize the film industry, creating high-budget films that few independent filmmakers could imitate. Hollywood became big business. In 
the industry was no longer known as a place for women to explore their passions. Once dominated by women behind the scenes, a new money-driven mindset caused these women to be pushed out. Essentially, women and people of color were seen as unable to make films that would turn out a profit. Women in any workplace was seen as unconventional, and the film industry was no exception. This pushing out is commonly referred to as the vertical integration of the film industry. As Hollywood became big business, major studios controlled every stage of a film's life, from production to distribution to exhibition. These studios even owned many of the cinemas that showed their films. It was at this time that any marginalized filmmakers, such as women and African Americans, found it very difficult to get distribution contracts. The flexible, innovative attitudes of filmmaking roles disappeared, and the industry became dominated by white men. After this industry consolidation, the film industry hit a low point during the Great Depression, as Americans didn't have any extra money to spend on going to the movies. This decrease in moviegoing caused studios to create films that audiences wouldn't want to miss. They began producing salacious films featuring sex, violence, and drinking, such as Babyface, Scarface, and Freaks, all of which came out in 1932. But this period of suggestive films would not last long. In 1930, the Motion Picture Production Code, commonly known as the Hayes Code, was adopted by the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America, or the NPPDA for short. It was created to regulate the content of films and provided a list of don'ts and be carefuls for the big five studios and other production companies to abide by. Named after the president of the MPPDA, William Hayes, the code was not fully enforced until 1934. Essentially, the code regulated what could and could not be shown in films. Its enforcement was intended to save money from the disjointed censorship that caused different production studios to decide their own rules for censorship, which varied from studio to studio. No intelligent person will argue that we are to make pictures only for children. We must have stories with power and punch and backbone. At the same time, we must be on the lookout for scenes or action or dialogue which are likely to give offense. The responsible men in this industry want no such pictures and will not allow these to be shown. That was Joseph Breen, a devoted Catholic whom William Hayes appointed to head the Production Code Administration, which was specifically created to administer the Hayes Code. You will understand that our Production Code Administration is not a one-man censorship. It represents the considered judgment of many persons of wide experience and a sincere interest in making motion pictures. All films had to be approved by the Production Code Administration before they could be shown to an audience. A major reason this list of rules was formed was a fear that the government would step in to regulate movies. It was this fear that led studios and independent filmmakers to obey the Hayes Code, as they didn't want any government interference with their art. When the code was unveiled, William Hayes stated, quote, The code sets up high standards of performance for motion picture producers. It states the considerations which good taste and community value make necessary in this universal form of entertainment, end quote. So what exactly did this code regulate? One section of the code outlines the principles that filmmakers should apply when making films. The first principle listed is, quote, 
no motion picture should lower the moral standards of those who see it, end quote. The code goes on to elaborate, warning against films presenting evil as attractive and good as unattractive. Essentially, no plot could side with evil and against good. Another regulation forbade any nudity and overt portrayals and references to sexual behavior, even between consenting adults. And one more, banned topics considered perverse, including those regarding homosexuality, interracial relationships, and venereal diseases. These regulations were primarily made to please a white, male, conservative audience. Any content that questioned a woman's sexuality or portrayed her sexual freedom would be immediately turned down. These rules were representative of America's return to traditional values after World War I. The traditional, conservative nature of films made around this time, as well as the absence of women behind the scenes, led to unrealistic portrayals of women characters on camera that would continue well past the code's official end in 1968. Despite the industry's consolidation and the adoption of the Hayes Code, there were many women who were adamant about continuing their passions of filmmaking, no matter how difficult their paths would prove to be. Two of these women, Lois Weber and Mary Pickford, will be the subjects of next Wednesday's double episode drop. I hope you'll come along with me to discover the stories of these women and more. Follow and rate this podcast anywhere you find your podcast, and follow us on Instagram at Founding Females of Film. For Founding Females of Film, I'm Ramey Fritz. And I hope you'll continue with me on this journey to discover the individual stories of forgotten women in film history.